Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down with business stories behind the stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, October 14, gives us episode number 170. Well, just ahead, the high stakes of hydrogen fuel cell company Plug Power with an acquisition, some deal making, and new guidance. And Caterpillar's big bet on autonomous vehicles. Yes, autonomous mining. We'll hear about the impacts of that. And we will drill down on the business of strip clubs with the largest national operator of adult theme clubs. Rick's Cabaret's CEO, Eric Langen, joins us from the LD Microconference. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down on your smart speaker. Just turn to that smart speaker and say, play the Drill Down podcast, listen to our latest show. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, you look great today, by the way. Tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. Corey, let's start with the largest U.S. cryptocurrency exchange, Coinbase, reportedly wants Congress to block the Securities and Exchange Commission from overseeing the industry. Instead, Coinbase wants Congress to create a special regulator for digital assets. Coinbase, Coinbase says crypto market participants face uncertainty about which federal agencies should oversee particular assets. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler says many crypto exchanges are trading coins that don't comply with investor protection laws and has discouraged lawmakers from setting up a separate regulator. Now let's move on to Boeing. Boeing is dealing with a new Dreamliner def defect amid production problems. Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says the new problem involves certain titanium parts that are weaker than they should be on, 70, on 787s built over the past three years. The discoveries, among other Dreamliner snafus that have left Boeing stuck with more than $25 billion of the jets in its inventory. In addition, the FAA is investigating Boeing's quality control. And finally, an activist shareholder, Jana Partners, has taken a stake in Macy's. Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. Jana is reportedly urging the retailer to spin off its fast-growing e-commerce business. Jana believes that a standalone e-commerce Macy's business would be worth a multiple of Macy's current market value, which stood at about $7 billion recently. Now, Macy's biggest department store rival, Saks Fifth Avenue, 
plans to separate its own e-commerce business from its store operations as part of a deal that includes an additional investment as well. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Caterpillar. Caterpillar trades under C-A-T, CAT. CAT shares rose over 2% today and are higher by 17% in a year. What's going on with CAT? So I've been thinking about Caterpillar because um, my friend Molly Wood has this great new podcast. Once you're done listening to this one, maybe check it out. It's called uh, How We Survive. And it's about lithium mining and lithium mines. And in the second episode of this, she talks about going to this mine and seeing these enormous trucks the size of four-story buildings that are operating uh, in these open mines. And it made me think about what's going on at Caterpillar and their autonomous vehicles. No particular news from Caterpillar today, but I just thought it was a good time to take a look at this business because it really is going through this kind of transformation of an entirely different kind of operating machine, and that is autonomous machines, particularly for the mining industry. Recently, uh, Caterpillar's uh, president of resource industries, that'd be mining, right, uh, Denise Johnson, spoke at an investor conference about what was going on with the mining industry going more and more towards autonomous vehicles. And again, imagine a four-story truck where the wheels are bigger than the biggest truck you've ever seen, um, cruising along autonomously, driving faster than a human can drive it safely, but they think that they can actually run them faster, run these mines faster. It's mind-blowing stuff. Mind, not mind-blowing stuff. It's mind-blowing stuff. And uh, um, she actually talked in this conference about uh, an, an encounter she'd had the night before the conference, dinner with a customer, talking about how the transformative um, change in the business that happened once they actually went to fully autonomous trucks in the mine. Here is that story from Denise Johnson. I was with a customer last night um, having dinner. Greenfield Mine that we um, had won the award for, they, they're just launching the first 11 autonomous trucks. And they said, we had our first perfect day um, in the mine. And he said, we, we have never had a perfect day in any of our mines that are non-autonomous. And um, they were so proud of the fact that that was, you know, only after about, you know, a few months of implementation of the um, of the solution. So it's, it's things like that that really tell you you're on the right track and it's making a difference for customers. She went on to talk about how smaller mines and mines with fewer trucks are going to be using this uh, autonomous uh, vehicle approach uh, that could really change mining uh, forever, uh, both underground and above ground. Um, really cool stuff. Corey, what's your next drill down? Plug power. Plug power. Plug power trades under PLUG plug. Plug shares fell 5% today, but they've gained 86% in a year. Talk to me about plug power. A big day for Plug Power. Uh, of course, the stock has been on fire. Our listeners uh, seem to be very fond of the company as well. We've had the CEO, Andy Marsh, on in the past. They had their investor day today, and it was a long sort of cheerleading event for kind of talking about how their business is going. Lots of executives. They even had Chuck Schumer, their, their local congressman in upstate New York there as well, um, speaking in recorded sessions. But, you know, interestingly, um, they also did a deal. They announced a deal. They're going to buy a company called Applied Cryo or Cryo Technologies, which they say will help them expand their green hydrogen ecosystem. Uh, and uh, they signed a letter of intent to do a 50-50 joint venture in Australia to build a two gigawatt factory to create a large-scale proton exchange membrane electrolyzer um, and help them, of course, create more hydrogen for more fuel cells. So uh, interesting business. They also raised their guidance 
and they said that uh, sales guidance was going to be um, between for the for the fiscal year 2022, call it in midpoint of about uh, $835 million. That's up 65% from the previous year. They say they're going to do $3 billion in sales by 2025. Andy Marsh also talked about what it's like to run a business in upstate New York and the kind of people that they are looking for hire. And I thought it was really interesting because they are building in size in Rochester, New York, my, my hometown, which has been economically depressed for some time. But they're finding people there who really want to make plug power big. And I thought it was interesting to hear what Andy Marsh had to say about hiring in upstate New York and indeed the people they're trying to hire. You may have caught on. You have to have passion. If you don't have passion, this isn't the right company to work for. <laughs> we want people who are smart at what they do. And we need people who are smart at lots of different items. And uh, we need people who uh, will roll up their sleeves every day. You know, it's, you know we're not afraid to work. Uh, after we get done off stage here, all of us are back to work for the, how many more hours? <laughs> Long hours, but it's a great place to work. We do like our people. So uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of interesting. He's a high energy guy. You heard that when he was on our show a few months ago. And, you know, you hear that when with all the executives of that company, that they really are going after this, this hydrogen uh, power solution, hydrogen fuel solution, um, uh, you know, both feet in. Corey, what's your next drill down? Well, I'm so glad you asked. How about Del Taco? Del Taco. Del Taco trades under Taco, T-A-C-O. Shares rose 4% today, but they've lost 9% in a year. What's happening with Del Taco? So Del Taco, the second largest Mexican-American quick service restaurant chain, at least in terms of number of stores in the U.S., reported third quarter results. Uh, and, you know, they're pretty good growth for this company. Uh, System-wide, their comp sales uh, were up 2%. The company-owned restaurants are about the same. Uh, franchise is doing a little bit better. Total revenue is $124 million, which is 3% more than the third quarter last year. We're getting to a point we can actually compare year over year without that pandemic second quarter um, of 2020. Um, and so, you know, they're pretty decent quarter, you know, modest growth uh, with revenues up about 3% year over year. But I thought uh, what was interesting was a conversation on the conference call where the chief financial officer, Stephen Brake, talked about rising labor costs. And because the, the, this restaurant chain in particular has a lot of stores in California, but the, the increase in the minimum wage in California, right? There are efforts afoot to try to raise the minimum wage nationally that haven't gone for anywhere in Congress uh, yet. But the, the, the pulling up of wages in California is actually driving this chain to kind of expect that the rest of the country, that at least as far as they are paying minimum wage, is also going to get to that California mandated wage $15 an hour, which starts in January. Listen to Stephen Brake of Del Taco. Um, you know, that's uh, on a long-term basis, as you know, you know, average wage, um, you know, with a California footprint, you know, we are on a path towards $15 an hour where minimum wage culminates in California starting January 1, just a few months from now. In fact, that $15 level will then maintain through 2023. So these guys uh, see higher wages and they don't really see them going away anytime Soon, lasting all the way into next year and beyond. All right, coming up, a really interesting conversation about the business of strip joints. 
Uh, Rick's Cabaret, now known as RCI Hospitality, has been in the business of running strip joints uh, all over the country in Minneapolis and New York and Texas and Florida. They've also got a restaurant chain, a family restaurant chain. I'll let you decide if you think it's really family fair. But Eric Langan joins us uh, for a just mind-blowing conversation about how strip joints work, how the money works in those places, what the employment is like in those places, how they vet against fraud and stay away from organized crime. Quite the story, RCI Hospitality, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, joining us right now, the CEO of RCI Hospitality, also known as Rick's. Eric Langan joins us right now. Glad to have you. Glad to be on the show. Thank you. So um, you guys run, how do you describe, well, how do you describe your business? How do I describe my business? And or how do you hate hearing it described? Well, I mean, basically we're in the adult entertainment business and restaurants, uh, but we're really bars uh, and and restaurants. We use entertainment to draw our customers in. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, through our, uh, you know, wait, wait staff and their, their uniforms and that uh, at the restaurant side or, uh, you know, our topless or nude entertainment at our adult venues. So uh, the business has grown. I, the last I looked at it was maybe 10 years ago because you've been public for a long time. We've been since 1995. Yeah. And it's got, it's gotten big. It's, I, I didn't realize, I didn't think it was going to get this big. I didn't think, I didn't think there were that many acquisition opportunities or chances to open up new stores, if you want to call it. Right. Well, with the, uh, with the clubs, there's about, you know, 2,500 clubs in the U.S. We own, uh, well, at, we're hoping to close our big acquisition Monday, which will add 11 more. We'll get us at 49 locations. Uh, so, I mean, we're still a very small part of 2,500. There's a lot of growth opportunities in the club side. The restaurant side, I mean, we can build ground up. Yeah, well. Uh, uh, restaurants, so that's that's easy to grow. How, I'll, I'll hold the restaurant conversation because that was a new okay. part of the story to me. Sure. I'm, I'm not that smart, but I want to get to that. But uh, let's talk about the, the adult entertainment places. I call them strip joints. I, right. Is it a pejorative term? I don't know. I, they get called everything. Gentlemen's clubs, uh, yeah. strip clubs. Uh, so you know. explain to me how that business works. Like like if I look at it just from a business standpoint, four-wall costs, and like who works there, who doesn't work there, who's a contractor, what's the expense, you know? Well, I mean, it depends uh, in what market we're in. Some, some, some markets, the entertainers are employees. Some, they're independent contractors. Uh, but everyone else there is basically uh, an employee, the bartenders, the managers, the wait staff, uh, DJs, uh, house moms, all those people are on, all employees. How many employees typically in a, in a location? Oh, well, it depends on the size. I mean, if you go to, say, Tootsie's in Miami, which is a 74,000 square foot facility. What? We have uh, in a, any given year 500 employees or so that work through, work in 70, there a year. How big? 74,000. Wow, that's in, that's like the and size, we're expanding. It's the size of a Costco. Uh, actually, it used to be BJ's Wholesale Southeastern Distribution Center. We own the property. It's three hundred eighty-five thousand square feet under roof. Just the club's portion is uh, seventy-four thousand. So what? That's probably an outlier, though. What's your typical size of? A yeah, typical is probably you know twelve to fifteen thousand square feet. That's pretty uh, big too. Typically, you know, uh, you have uh, in a given a given month uh, between wait staff and that you'll have. Oh, 100, 100 or so employees. And then uh, and the probably another 300 independent contractors. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, and so uh, what's the four-wall cost? What's the cost to develop a, a site like that? I'm treating well, it like it's a restaurant or a Yeah, you know. well, you can't really develop anymore. It's very difficult. Uh, so basically where growth is through acquisition of existing. Uh, the licenses are very difficult to so get. I was wondering about licensing uh, and, and, and if alcohol If you can license. build, uh, the cities have zoned everything into what I call uh, not economically viable. <laughs> uh, for example, you can go build in Houston in the Houston Ship Channel. The whole ship channel is zoned for adult <laughs> use. Great. Uh, you know, I, I guess you need about, you know, 60 foot stilts to put out there. And you got to watch out for those big ships coming by. But, yeah, we just have them float. And I don't know how anybody's going to get there, but, you know, that's not their problem. They just have to have certain land masses, uh, you know, set for adult use. And that's that's what they chose. So. And you and you you mentioned Texas. You're, you're very big in Texas. Uh, we it looks are. to be, when I look at your 10K, the biggest place where you operate. Yes. A little bit outside of there. You got something in New York. You got something somewhere in Illinois, but mostly Texas, a little bit of Florida, right? Yeah, Florida, Texas, uh, Minneapolis is a big market for us, New York. Um, so, uh, again, zoning seems to be a, a, a mo- pardon the, the nautical reference again, but a moat for you guys. Because, yes. Because you get a store in a certain place, because you get a, a, a club in a certain place, competitors kind of just can't come in because they aren't zoned to be anywhere else. Exactly. Or they don't meet. If they, if they find the right zoning, then they've got to also have sensitive uses. So you can't be within 1,000 feet of our club. You can't be within 1,000 feet of a school, a church, a park. Uh those types of things. Sometimes historical sites are included. It, it, it really varies from, from municipality to municipality. So, what, so we look for grandfathered locations. Of course. Uh, what's a typical revenue for, for a club of your typical size that you're saying about 78,000 feet? A typical, the, the, the smaller clubs, have, you know, three, three to six million a year in annual sales. It's typical. And, and the gross margins on those? Or the, I should say net margin on a, a store. Yeah, around, cost. I mean, uh, around 35 to 45%. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a great business. It is. Uh, how do you decide what kinds of, of stores to acquire and what kinds of clubs are worth acquiring? Well, I look for, uh, obviously, the, the cash flow. We're, 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 we, are, we talk about being a strip club business, but we're really in the free cash flow business. Yeah. So when we make acquisitions, we're acquiring free cash flow. Uh, we want to buy that at a multiple of three to five times uh, if we can. And uh, so we, we look at their, you know, we go through the even numbers and we, we sort everything out. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about cash flow. Uh, we look for grandfathered licenses. Uh, we like limited competition. Uh, we'll go into competitive markets as well, though. Uh, if we go into competitive markets, we try to buy everything in the market, uh, you know, to, to not to limit competition, but just to Is that, make that sure that they say in banking and other businesses, the talent walks out the door every night. It's true in your business as well. I mean, I would imagine that keeping the best performers can lead to better revenues. Of course. Oh, the best performers uh, the, and, and the best wait staff, uh, your management team. Uh, we're really, we're in the hospitality industry. So it's like a casino host. Our management team has to be like casino hosts, right? We, we greet the customers. We seat the customers. We make sure they're taken care of. We make sure that, uh, you know, that, that they have perceived value for their, for their visit. Um, what's typical a ticket for a customer? Uh, we have clubs where the typical tickets, $35, $45. And we have clubs where the typical tickets, probably $1,400, Just depends on where, you know, and, and even at the $1,400, $1,600 clubs, you can come in and have a decent time for, I mean, you probably spend 150 to have a good time with that club. But, uh, and there's guys that spend, you know, several hundred dollars at the, at the typical $35 to $45 clubs as well. I think I heard some of those guys in the hallway yesterday while we were doing a, a broadcast. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe our listeners, they want to re-listen to yesterday's interview. They might hear that in the background. <laughs> it was an interesting one. Um, so as you grow this business, it seems like, I mean, I've got to ask a question. About, you know, I, I grew up in, a, in in New York, and there was a time when organized crime was a big part of that industry. 
um, uh, well documented. I've got to imagine that's part of your vetting process to make sure you're not getting into trouble when you're doing these acquisitions, both to see that the numbers are real and then to not get into problems. Yeah, well, we've built computer models that we can run the numbers. Uh, we can take invoices. Uh, you know, we've, we had a day, I, I'm not going to say where, but we had a club that we were looking at that I was like, man, these numbers are not right. Something's wrong here. Uh, and they turned up getting arrested for money laundering at a later date uh, after we passed on, on the okay. acquisition. Uh, and the way I figured it out is I called their distributor and said, I need all the invoice for the last six months for all the beer you bought. Right. Because I was looking at the, the amount of beer they were selling. I was like, man, that's a, that's a crazy amount of beer. They can't be selling that much beer. And so we got the invoices and they would have had to sell each beer for $330. <laughs> so that's they haven't bought any beer must be imports yeah so if you haven't bought beer you know you can't sell it uh so that that's that's kind of the ways we look at look through those things but organized crimes but out of our industry you know for a long long time i think it was you know the north up in new york we were at probably the last place that you know they right. were in with uh you know that but they weren't really in the business that they were in like they forced atm machines into scores in new york you read you know i've read some of the the stuff on that. Right. But I mean, we haven't had anyone, we're publicly traded. We're so regulated. Our industry is very, very regulated. Uh, you know, is it? How so? How so? Well, uh, uh, alcohol I mean, licenses, of course, alcohol, uh, you know, taxes, we're taxed right crazy. So you have all the audits, uh, everybody's looking at your and we're publicly traded. So we have auditors looking at our numbers as well. Uh, so you just, you know, everything's, and it's not a cash business anymore. It's a lot of credit card. Business, Interesting. Right? You know, everybody switched to credit card, especially, you know, the, the typical customer under 35 years old is, you know, almost 100% credit card. They've never seen cash before. Yeah, they don't even know. What it is. My 26-year-old my son, I gave him I gave him a $100 bill. He's like, well, what's this? You know, I'm like, what do you mean, what's this? <laughs> you know? um, uh, yes, my kids get irritated when I give them cash instead of putting it into their account. Yeah, put it on my card. Put it on my card. Yeah. yeah. So um, you talked about your computer models that, that vet the business. I'm, I'm super curious about that. How do that? What, sure. What well, we know? create, we know what all, we, we have, you know. 30 some locations around the country from big, small. We know what poor cost should be, for example. We know what, what liquor should cost versus the sales as a percentage of sales. We know what security should be uh, cost, average security. We know what average rents, we know average uh, wages, uh, taxes. You know, we're able to plug all that into our program. And then we take the numbers when we get financials from, a, from another club, we take them and program it in. And we'll take a two year window, program them in by month. And our computer program will then go through and say, you know, this was out of whack in this month or this is out of whack or, or this is just missing. And that's what you usually find. Uh, you know, they've eliminated lines to boost their, they've eliminated expense lines to boost their, the, yes, but we're going to audit. Numbers, I mean, yeah. we're going to go through bank, we're going to go through bank statements. We're going to go through everything and audit. So it hasn't happened recently. You know, nowadays everybody knows we have a very good reputation and everybody kind of, you know, as we've bought a lot of right. club owners out throughout the years and, and they talk and everybody knows they, you you can't play games with these guys. They're going to go through everything. They're going to know. What's that? How long does that process take or how big is a team that looks at that kind of stuff? Uh, we have an accounting team. I mean, our full accounting team is, you know, 30 plus people, but, but you're the, the team. team. Yeah. You know, probably about three or four guys that really dig through this stuff, the hardcore. And then we send out another, you know, three or four guys from our operations team who go in and uh, secret shop the location or uh, just sit and watch, uh, you know, the location to see that, you know, what, the numbers make sense. You you literally have people that you pay to go to strip joints and hang out. Well, they work for us. They pay. We, we pay people every <laughs> night to be at strip joints. Oh, they dude. have to run them. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me. This is what I mentioned. Why I wanted to say the restaurant uh, conversation. So bombshells. Super interesting. Is this a, what are these places like? What are they similar to Hooters or something? Not really. Uh, I mean, we have a small 
clientele that's Hooters or Twin Peaks type clientele. Uh, I'd say maybe 15, 20% of our business. Uh, but we're, our menu is very large. Uh, we cater, uh, all of our drink menus are catered to females because uh, we want to draw the, you know, draw the women in. Our, our food menus, we have wraps, we have salads, we have fish and chicken dishes. Uh, so we're very female friendly. Uh, you know, a lot of people try to describe us as the, as the family friendly restaurant. Uh, our, our girls are not as revealing as, as some of the other, uh, restaurant type locations out there where we, I call it a seventh grade cheerleader uniform. If you can't, if a seventh grade cheerleader can wear it to cheer, I don't want to see it here. Uh, and that's kind of what we, you know, we kind of push. Now there are exceptions on, you know, beach week where the girls all wear bikinis and, uh, and then they have, uh, of course, Halloween will have Halloween costumes, and some of the costumes get a little more risque. With and the how, and how's but, but generally, going? that's how we how we operate. So, what's the same store sales growth rate? Obviously, we had COVID last year, but maybe twenty twenty one over two thousand nineteen. Yeah, well, for for twenty twenty one, we we had eighty six percent growth on twenty five percent more units. Okay, that's that's substantial same store sales. Yeah, our same store sales are, have been phenomenal. Uh, we opened early. We opened uh, most of our Texas locations were open by the 16th of May uh, in, in 2020. So we were only closed for about seven weeks. And how has the, and, uh, you know, you're, you're largely in Texas. you got some stuff in Florida. The, the COVID rates have well, been the, through the, the roof. Well, the bombshells are all Texas-based right now. And COVID's been through the roof there. Delta variant's been through the roof there. So what, how, what affects that? And slowed us down. Really? Uh, yeah, we're not seeing, uh, I'm not seeing any slowdown from, from COVID. I mean, if, if anything in the last quarter, maybe, maybe we had a million dollars less sales or something from, from COVID related, you know, non-visits, but I, I live in Texas. I live in Houston. We, we can hear that. I travel everywhere. It yeah, is a I'm podcast. Sure. <laughs> and For uh, our listeners wonder, he is wearing a cowboy hat and his horse is tied up outside. But uh, you know, there's no mask. There's no social distancing. There's no, especially for people under 35 years old. I mean, there's just, it's not seeing it in Texas. I ever put a mask on here. I'm like, oh, a mask. Oh, oh, gosh. Does somebody have one? We don't even, I don't even carry them anymore. I'm used to having the glove box in my yeah. car. You know, my kids, my daughter wears it to school. So I try to keep some of my glove box for my daughter at school. But that's, Mark, that's about so, it. It's so very different here in California. Yeah, it is. Um, so uh, as, as you grow that business, what? It, I, surely that's not a big business travel destination. But some of the other businesses probably are. And business travel has been way off even as... COVID restrictions have been uh, relaxing. Yeah, we definitely have a few locations that are more travel closer to airports. Uh, our, our, we have a club right at uh, DFW Airport, for example. Uh, their sales have been a little off. <coughs> but overall, uh, if you're not business traveling, you're working from home. And the people that are working from home take long lunches. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's helped our, our, our business uh, a lot. And, uh, and I think people just ready to be out, right? You're tired of being at home. You work home all day or home all day, you know, and you're just, people are ready to be out and yeah, about. That's and, certainly true. And, and, and get entertained. Well, so many people we talked when you walked in, you've been traveling throughout this, but so many people I've been talking to at this conference are saying this is literally their first business trip. in, in Oh a, yeah. A well, see, I'm a pilot, so I fly myself everywhere. So it's a lot, I don't have to go on commercial airlines. So it's a lot easier. What do you fly? Uh, we have a CJ four and then we have a, uh, a vision jet, a yeah. little single engine Cirrus. Great. What fun. So um, let me ask you about debt. So you guys borrow a lot of money. Um, you often borrow money to buy individual groups, right? But I, when I read through your 10K, I read about sort of restructuring of some of that debt, sometimes like lengthening that debt. 
What's your what's your target with that debt? You mentioned the free cash flow generation from the company. Well, and, and what's the use of that free cash flow to pay down that debt? How do you how do you make those decisions? Well, we do everything based on our capital allocation strategy. And what we do is we take the free cash flow divided by the uh, market cap, the number of shares, and we get a free cash flow per share right. analysis, and we see what the return is. So right now, uh, you know, based on on our forward going analysis. Uh, our free cash flows at sixty five or sixty six dollars, about twelve percent. So at that point, we would buy back stock with our free cash flow if we didn't have better use for it. So if we didn't have an acquisition coming up, or we didn't have more bombshells to build, and our cash builds up over a certain amount, which is typically around fifteen million in cash on the balance sheet, we use that cash to buy back stock. Uh, because we have two new bombshells in the works right now, we have the acquisition. We haven't been really been in the market buying stock, and the stock's been trading closer to sixty nine to. $75. So it's a little over our, our buy ratio. We typically buy at 10%. Anything over 10% yield, we'll buy stock if we don't have other use for the money. Now, once we close on this acquisition, which we hope to close on Monday, uh, then our cash will start building up. We're free cash flowing about a million a week right now. Uh, and we'll, if the stock comes down to our buy price, we'll be right back in the market buying stock again because we won't have something that the cash is going out for. It's such an interesting business. And uh, for our debt, basically we want bank debt. Yeah. Uh, it's five and a quarter percent. We just did a $99 million refinance of our real estate. We own the majority of our real estate around the country. Uh, we had, uh, I think, 46 pieces of real estate in this current loan. Uh, we, the appraisals were horrible. We should have waited about six months to start this loan. Uh, but we knew what we were working on this acquisition. So we wanted to get the cash lined up. So we started, so some of the acquisitions from the North, especially in New York and Minneapolis, were, you know, some of the places were still closed when we were doing the, when they were doing the appraisals. So the appraisals come back. So we got a 72% loan to value uh, on the, on the appraisal value. Uh, and what's that the rate time. in that loan? 5.25%, uh, okay. 20 years. Uh, okay. It's got a 10 year, it's a 10 year balloon uh, with a five year one-time interest rate adjustment at prime plus, Three and a half, I think. And could you refi that if you got a better appraisals now? I mean, you presumably, uh, presumably a year from now, you're going to have, have been showing that you've been open across all these locations and right. you might be able to actually show that. Uh, I mean, I think from a financial standpoint, as far as cost basis, you, you want to keep the loan for at least three years uh, before you look at pulling more money out. But uh, in the acquisition, we're paying all cash for $18 million in real estate. We're going to take that $18 million in real estate, combine it with about four or five other pieces of real estate that we've picked up over the last, while we've been working on this other loan. And we're going to combine them into another loan and get a second loan and pull all of our cash right back out. And if I were to look at your company 10 years from now, what percentage of revenues would be from adult entertainment? What would be from bombshells? I have no earthly idea. Uh, I mean, I plan about three years at a time. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to really plan farther than that in our industry uh, because you just don't know what acquisitions are going to come up. Yeah. Uh, what our plan is, is long-term growth of 10 to 15% free cash flow per share compounded year after year after year. Uh, we started that process in uh, fiscal 2016. Uh, and through 2019, we were growing at a little over 20% clip. Uh, obviously with COVID, we're gonna have an off year or so. Uh, but then this year, uh, so in 2019, we did 33 million in free cash flow. Uh, I don't know the numbers yet. We won't have them until December for the free cash flow figures for, for 20. Uh, I know we did 13 million last quarter. Uh, and we free cash flowed every quarter. Uh, I should ask. I, I assume you so, define free cash flow in a conventional way. You don't include acquisition costs. Right. We we, we free cash flow is operating uh, operating cash flow minus maintenance capex. Okay. Oh, really? what we okay. consider free cash flow. That's that's your PB and E essentially. Yes. And then 
I think this year we're well over 50, 60 million uh, for, for 2022. We have to get this acquisition under our belt and say, you know, we'll probably put out some, I'm hoping to put out guidance, uh, you know, maybe in the second quarter of this fiscal year. Our fiscal year starts October 1. So Why then? Uh, when I acquired the company in 99, that's what Where they was. had. And we just stayed there. Uh, well, the business certainly doesn't stay there and growing like crazy. So we appreciate your time joining us yep. here at Thank the LD Microconference. Eric Langan is the CEO of RCI Hospitality, also known as Rick's. Glad to have you. We've got one number that will tell us a whole lot, that, uh, that bite, that drill down bite, when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. How about this first thing in the morning? Turn to your smart speaker and say, play the Drill Down podcast. And here are our most recent episode as you get ready for the big day ahead. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot regarding RCI, Rick's Cabaret. Um, the bombshells business represents uh, a growing portion of their revenues. Indeed, uh, it was actually the majority of their revenues last year. We heard the CEO say that it was uh, just a, a smaller piece. In fact, it is. And here's the number of bombshell stores to their total amount of strip clubs, strip joints. I was trying not to be pejorative by calling them strip joints. Can I call it a strip joint? Think? It's a freaking strip joint. I, really I mean, come know. on. I really don't know the protocol. Um, uh, sure. Sure you don't. I guess I should, but strip club. I mean, I, I feel like if you call it a strip joint, then it kind of dates you a bit. I mean, were you born in the 20s? Okay. All right. So strip joints. The company has 38 strip joints and here's a number, 10 bombshells. Restaurants. Yes. Okay. Strip joints under the names of Club Onyx, Downtown Cabaret, Foxy's, Hoops Cabaret and Bar in New York, Jaguar Club, Kappa Men's Club, Rick's Cabaret, as I mentioned, of course, Scarlet Cabaret, Silver City Cabaret in Dallas, Studio 80 in Fort Worth, Temptations, Tootsie's, Seville, Seville, pardon me. Got it. Got Vivid it. Cabaret, XTC. Those are all your options when it comes to... Uh, Adult entertainment from the fine folks at Rick's. That was actually a great interview. I like that guy. Interesting conversation. All right, well, we appreciate your time and listening to the show here today. If you like it, come back tomorrow. There's another one coming. We've got them every day here at The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson, to my right, here in Los Angeles at the LD Microconference, is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.